Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. It is Mike Gore here in the studio with James Cazina, and welcome to another edition of the Open Doors Live podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to play you some audio. It was from one of my very first trips with a ministry and was recorded in the underground church from China. Listen to this. That audio is so amazing, Mike. And as a worship pastor for so many years, I love hearing the sound of the persecuted church worshiping to music like that. Absolutely amazing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this month's episode of Open Doors Live. I'm your host, James Kazina, along with the CEO of Open Doors Australia, Mike Gore. Uh, For those of you who don't know, maybe we've got many new listeners that have joined us over the past couple of months, as a ministry, Open Doors has been supporting the persecuted church since 1955. I said at the beginning that the trip to China, James, was one of my first trips with the ministry. But what I loved about that trip was so much more than simply visiting a new nation and meeting with believers because part of the trip was to courier, smuggle, deliver Bibles to believers. And I remember sitting in Hong Kong with a team waiting to smuggle these Bibles into mainland China. And as we climbed on the bus getting ready to go down to the border, I remember sitting in a window seat and looking out, and this brother came running out of the compound, waving a piece of white paper with a big smile across his face. And he jumps onto the bus and he starts to read it. And he says it was a newspaper report. And they said, last night at 8 p.m., the scanners at the Hong Kong border blew up, caught on fire, and they'll be down for today. And as we got down there, I remember there was yellow tape and scorch marks all over these scanners. And for us, we were able to walk these Bibles into believers in that country. But later on that day, as we were meeting with the underground, church, this is where things started to become incredible and miraculous. I remember sitting with a brother, he must have been 60, 70, or maybe even 80 years of age, and he was telling me about faith in China in the years of communism. He told me as a young boy, he remembers, they would pray inside this compound where there was only windows around the top. And he says, one night police surrounded the building, they climbed ladders to look in the windows, and, and as they did that, they saw a foreigner walking through the building. They raced around the front and they arrested a few of the people out the front of this building and they said to them, bring out the foreigner. And they said, there's no foreigner here. And the police said again, bring out the foreigner. And these Chinese believers said, well, can you describe them to us? And they went on to describe Jesus. And I remember as I was sitting there talking to this man and he says, the thing is when Jesus turns up, I will never forget the aroma. The aroma would fill the room was just beautiful. And he says what the police didn't see that night was over 120 Chinese believers kneeling on the floor in prayer. One of the most incredible stories I've heard from my time with the persecuted church. And I remember I said to him, well, what can I pray for you, brother? And he looked at me and he simply said, I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. I remember being new to the ministry. I had this kind of false belief that we're here to stop persecution, end persecution. But as we talked to him, he said to me, well, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. 
He said the value of Jesus drops. I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. I remember I said to him, brother, would you pray for me? And he looked at me and said, yeah, I pray you'd be persecuted. such a crazy confronting thought and Mike I think in our culture where we often equate prosperity with blessing from God how do you frame that in terms of the church how do we respond to that thought that someone would pray for persecution to to come to us it's a great question and and honestly I wrestled with it for years and that's the truth years of wrestling with what, what was he praying into my life and as I looked at the scriptures I realize that every single instance of persecution in the Bible, it either comes from a public profession of faith or a public outworking of a life devoted to faith in Jesus. And now, 2,000 years on, nothing has changed. And if the people we serve want to stop being persecuted, they need only stop sharing Jesus publicly, showing him personally in their lives, or outworking the gospel in community. But the truth is they don't. I think that's something that I've wrestled with so much since I started working here at Open Doors and really digging into these stories of the persecuted church that where is the evidence of that in my life as a believer? Where is uh, the evidence of persecution in my life? And I think about the fact that maybe if Christ's transformative power was truly working in me, would it be impossible for me to stop sharing him or would I would I conform and be silenced by those pressures around me? You know, it's something that I've really wrestled with. It reminds me of a story of a good friend of Open Doors. Her name's Helen Bahane. Um, we recorded her story a little while ago. Helen's story is incredible. She spent uh, about two and a half years locked in a metal shipping container in Eritrea. This country is number six on the world watch list, and it was here that Helen was persecuted. I couldn't tell if people were praying for me or not in prison, but I was feeling the power, some kind of power, because it was beyond our understanding of what was happening there. It was so hard, but somehow I knew that someone was praying. While I was in prison, one time a guard called me and beat me so bitterly. When I went back inside, I was filled with so much peace. The peace and joy was overwhelming. I started laughing and giggling. My friends inside were confused. Then they said to me, Helen, what is wrong? It's not funny. I said, I don't know. I just feel peace inside me. The time we were in prison was really hard, but as I said, we had peace and we were praying six times a day, waking up three times at night and during the day we were praying three times. We did this every day and night during my whole sentence. The situations we were in led us to pray. I was in a situation where it was so hard that without prayer, there was no way that we could survive it. I was with so many Christians that were being helped through prayer because what we were going through was so absolutely unbelievable, but we knew that there was prayer with us. 
There were others who were in prison with us who did not know the Lord. They came there for different cases. They were so happy to hear us singing and praying. They told us that they were blessed. So it was really an amazing experience. Helen's story is so incredible, Mike. I know you had a chance to meet her personally and just hear how she was in fact grateful for the suffering she was was going through. And it reminded me of what you were saying about this brother in China praying that we would be persecuted. It doesn't make any sense to our logical mind where we think that pain and suffering uh, are bad things for us. But we're seeing here believers that are in fact becoming closer to God. They're, they're drawing nearer to him in their suffering. Jesus himself uh, tells us that it's in fact a blessing to be persecuted. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When people mock you or they persecute you, they lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Jesus then has the audacity to go on and say, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember that the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Mike, how does that make you feel in light of some of these stories that we're hearing? Yeah, I think, James, the natural response to both of these stories, a brother in China and Helen's, is that it's almost skin crawling. You know, you don't want it to be true, but there's a part of you that knows it to be true. And the only thing I can say to you there is, I've seen lots of people survive persecution but I've seen very few survive prosperity. You know, who is our disciple? Is it culture or is it Christ? Because that for me is where the disconnect came. I want all of these things in culture. I want all of the blessings associated with Christianity, but I don't necessarily want the cost of following Christ. But I remember a good friend of mine, Nick Ripkin said to me, don't forget before every resurrection, there must be a crucifixion. And I'll never forget those words because he's right. I want to live the resurrected life, but I want to get there with no element of crucifixion, with no element of cost, with no element of sacrifice. And so as I think back over my time in China, well, that's what the brother was praying for for me, that I would share Jesus visibly, vocally, valiantly, no matter the culture, no matter the cost. That's what this guy was praying into my life, not that I would suffer, that may unfortunately be a byproduct. But what he's asking, he's saying, Mike, I want you to share Jesus, be proud of Jesus, and realize that he is worth everything. This Easter, we're running a campaign that I'm hoping will encourage people to do this because I really do believe, for me personally, it was one of the biggest challenges in my life. Am I being discipled by culture or Christ? And how could I break that cycle? And so this Easter, we're running a campaign called One With Them. And my hope is that all of our listeners are able to be part of it. We're asking people to give up one day's wage for the sake of the persecuted church. Give up something of value to you, something that often ensnares us, and that's money and time. But what I want to do now is throw to Beth, our wonderful producer, who will tell us a little bit more about this campaign.
At Easter, the cost of following Jesus intensifies. Attacks increase as the church gathers. But we believe that we are part of one church, one hope and one family. That's why this Easter, we're standing one with them. One with them is a movement of Christians who are working an ordinary day with extraordinary impact. One with them is asking you to give one day's wage for the persecuted church. It's a bold ask, but we're inspired every day by the persecuted church, and we know that you are too. So for those in Australia wanting to dedicate one day's wage for the persecuted church and to see the church strengthened and the gospel proclaimed, head over to onewiththem.com.au. And for those in New Zealand, go to onewiththem.com.nz. Now back to today's episode. Awesome, Mike. How exciting is that? I'm really looking forward to being a part of one with them myself as well. And I love the fact that it's not just about the money, although that's really important. It's about a public and visible display of my love for Jesus and also my love for his church around the world. Uh, We've been talking about this, Mike, that if we're actually transformed by Christ, then there must be some kind of visible outworking of that. Yeah. As you know, I often get to lead devotions here for our team and speak to our team. And for me at the moment, the thing that is really bouncing around my mind is the Jesus distinctive. Well, that's what I'm calling it. You know, what elements in my life, if you were to take Jesus out of my life, I know it's a cliche and people have said it time and time before, but if you were to take Jesus out of my life, what would change and what would people notice to have changed? The Jesus distinctive. Well, maybe the question for me is if I'm not experiencing persecution in my life, maybe Jesus can't be seen or heard enough in my life. And so for me, what I've been learning to do over the last several years is in these moments of wrestling with the idea of persecution and the cost of faith is to go to the scriptures. I found myself reading Philippians 1. What I love about Paul, the writer of Philippians, is that he never actually met Jesus in the flesh on earth. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Yet he writes about him with an intimacy that blows my mind and a passion that he can't help but share with those around him, no matter the culture and no matter the cost. Let's have a look at this scripture and see exactly what Paul himself said about his relationship with Jesus. Uh, It's in Philippians 1, starting at verse 12, right through to verse 21. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I I fully expect and I hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ 
and dying is even better. See, this is what I love about the work of Open Doors. It's not just a handout. We're not just a charity that's looking to serve people, although that's certainly a large part of what we do. It's this fact that it needs to shake up our approach to our relationship with Jesus. Mike, this is an incredible passage of scripture that takes on a whole new depth when you ask yourself, what is stopping you and me speaking about Jesus like this? Reminds me a little bit of a story that you tell us from one of your trips to Iraq. Yeah, we had just arrived in northern Iraq. ISIS had torn the place up. There were people arriving on foot into camps, men, women and children. And I remember being in a camp with, it must have been, I think, five and a half thousand people from memory. And anyway, as we're in this camp, I met a brother there who had told me about his life before ISIS. He was a really wealthy businessman. He owned, he was a vet. He owned two clinics. And about 10 years before this, he had employed a Muslim business partner as a way of evangelizing, sharing the gospel. Over those 10 years, they'd become great friends and the business was very successful. This Christian friend that I'd met, he had a kilometer's worth of undeveloped land, which he was waiting to build uh, residential properties on. I mean, he was extremely wealthy. He said one day he was talking to his business partner and he remembers he said to him, one day everything you own will be mine. And this brother said to me, I thought that was a really strange thing to hear him say. And anyway, not too long after that, ISIS came through. Uh, they were forced to flee. They had now walked on foot to these refugee camps. And he told me how at night, as he laid and slept in the courtyard outside of a church in a makeshift camp, he would have to hold his children as high in the air as he could to stop the rats getting them. And then during the day, when they wanted to play, he was tired and couldn't sleep. But he says, Mike, I remember the first night we were bunking down in this camp, my mobile phone rang. And he says to me, it was my business partner. And he said to me, I'm calling you from inside your home. Under the law of ISIS, everything you own is now mine. And he said to me, I remember saying back to my friend, oh, you look after it for me. When I come home, I'll have it back. And he says, no, no, you come home. I'll chase you to the next town and take it all from you again. And anyway, as our conversation progressed, my heart broke for what this guy had lost. But then he looks at me and he says something I'll never forget. Because he said, Mike, ISIS was a gift from God. He says, looking back on my life, I realized all of the things, all of the stuff had got in the way of my relationship with him. And he says, I was just a Sunday Christian. I remember hearing that thinking, no, 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 you were anything but the Sunday Christian. You had employed a Muslim who you were evangelizing. You were doing this, you were doing that. If you were a Sunday Christian, what am I? And I remember we kept talking and, and he said, but now in these camps, I've never felt closer to God. He said, ISIS was a gift. And then he looks at me and he says, well, the challenge with you in the West is that you're more in love with life than you are Jesus and it makes you unwilling to die for him. Well, I remember reflecting on his words that evening in the hotel because they really hit the mark. I mean, they, they kind of dislodged me. They unnerved me because he was right. I do love life. I love being alive. I love going out with friends and family. I love my job. I love the pleasures of this world. I love technology, media. I love life. And in and of itself, that's not a bad thing, but it's when I love life more than I love Jesus that it can become dangerous. 
It's such a confronting thought, and I know I certainly am guilty of that when it's so easy to see the things around me that I draw my security from because I can see them and I, I love them and I know them, the security of my house, my income, all of those things, and I can see that that really can be detrimental to the way I love Jesus. Mike, as we bring this episode to a close, do you have any closing thoughts for us? I'm going to keep it short. I want to finish with a quote that one of our team from Ethiopia shared with us because I think it so beautifully captures what we've been talking about today. And they say, the only church, the only body of believers I know is the one of the Bible. It's persecuted. When we practice our faith to the extreme, persecution will come. If we're not being persecuted, we shouldn't thank God for safety. We should question ourselves because we mustn't be living our faith to its fullest. Faith and persecution are inseparable until Christ returns or the world comes to know him. So I guess the best way to finish today, and I mean it in the nicest possible way, is like the brother in China prayed into my life, is that I pray will be persecuted. Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode of Open Doors Live. If you have any questions about this episode, you can email our producer at bethanyr at od.org and we can answer them in the next podcast for you. Thanks, guys. And remember, please rate, review, share, help us get the word out. Also, guys, don't forget, you can sign up for One With Them at onewiththem.org.au or onewiththem.org.nz if you're listening from New Zealand. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.